24 days away from Christmas. I know that's a time. Time waits for no man. The clock is ticking. That's right. Okay. We are uh, still in lesson 16. May finish it today. Don't know if we will or not, but we'll give it a give it a shot and see what happens here. Um, we didn't get that far last time, but we want to make sure that we're emphasizing the importance of dealing with God's silence in prayer when we pray to him and understanding that we are not abandoned, but he in fact is indeed with us and frankly allows that silence to take place for reasons that uh, sometimes we don't understand until much later um, after it all takes place. That's the important thing to remember here. So with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and get started with a word of prayer. We've, um, we've been praying for several people in the church that have been ailing, and I wanted to, um, I don't know, is, is Paul Buzzy even aware of, we, we even have talked about him? I know you've talked to him directly, but I'm going to mention Paul. Um, Paul um, is in need of prayer. He has, he had eye surgery, and he, I actually remember him mentioning uh, about having eye surgery, um, and the effort uh, was for corrective surgery, uh, and the understanding is, is that the surgery did not go well. So Paul has been at home, and he has been rather depressed. Um, he is not seeing very well, and he has been... Um, pretty down and out, and he is in need of prayer uh, just because um, his outlook has obviously changed just based upon the fact that he can't see as well. He was having trouble seeing before, but apparently it didn't go well as far as fixing things. I believe so, but I'm not 100% sure, so I, I can't say, but I think so. So it didn't go well, so he is at home, and he is in need of our prayers. Amen? We need to pray for him as far as his condition and pray that he, um, depression's no fun. When you get depressed, that means that you're, you don't see a really positive outlook on things. You know, Dwight is the same way. We have to keep praying for Dwight as well, too, because he has been depressed as well, too, because he's not able to get out the way he would like to. So we, we have a few people just to keep in mind in prayer um, who have been through these four walls of uh, who have uh, been part of our church in one way or another. Uh, so please remember them, and please keep praying for them as well, too. Um, so I'm just bringing those names to the forefront now for you to keep them in prayer. Um, and I would um, encourage, uh, if you can send the card or give or extend well wishes to Paul, that would be a good idea as well, too. I, I'm not necessarily advocating everyone going and beating on his door, but I would say we want to try to seek him out and see how he's doing. Um, Paul has been a very successful attorney for a long time, and he has a lot of um, esteem in his work, and he has done great work, and he's even done great work for our family. So I know all about what Paul can do and what he has done, but at this time of need for him, I would ask that you just continue to remember him and think of him. Amen? Okay. You know what? We did have an address, and I don't know. Okay. Um,
Bev, Bev Parkman, of course she does because she was there. Bev Parkman has the address. She'll pass it on to you and make if you need his address, um, she'll share it with you. Okay. Thank you for allowing me to do that. Well, let's go ahead and look to the Lord where the word of prayer will get started. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to um, sit quietly now before you, Lord, and hear you speak to us. We thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for how you look after us day by day. Even when we don't do necessarily a great job of looking after ourselves, you are there with us. We pray now, Lord, that you will speak to us through the word that's being spoken, not through any words that I have to say, but because you are using those words. And we thank you and give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We're on uh, Lesson 16 of Eloquent Silence. Uh, This is Jennifer Rothschild's Missing Pieces study. And we were, I, I can't remember exactly where we left off last time. I know that we were... Uh, down at the bottom of page three and getting ready to circle onto page four. But I think what we were asking the question about was, have you felt hurt or punished by God's silence and describe it? And we have to understand that there are times when we're going through a great difficulty, we indeed can be hurt by God's silence because we're expecting an answer to a question that we're not getting an answer to. And so that can be very hurtful. But what we have to understand is that rather than looking at it from a standpoint where God is hurting us because he's not responding, we need to always come back to what it says in 1 John, God is love. Amen? God is love. Even in the midst of our pain, we have to come back to and say, God is love. Now, Those can sound like very hollow words for someone who is suffering. Amen? Okay, so we're dealing with real human emotions here. And we don't want to just say, well, because we're dealing with these human emotions, you know, you're being weak or, you know, inconsiderate. We just got done talking about two people who have been part of our church in one way or another who are depressed. Because they're going through difficulty. So this is a very real thing. This is not something that can be sloughed off. If we're talking about people who are depressed, and the Bible has even addressed issues about people being depressed, depression's a real thing. What we have to remember in our daily walk and interaction with other people and in our fellowship with them, that we are sensitive and that we are compassionate and that we are caring and that we will not blow somebody off saying, well, this, they, they ain't trying. They ain't trying to love the Lord. They ain't trying to do this. You couldn't be more insensitive when you do something like that. You've got to be realistic. I know what it's like to have been through depression because I've been through that. So I have a personal experience with that. And some of us sometimes have to go through things to understand what other people are going through. And that's... Just what life is. So we need to keep those things in mind as we have counsel and speak to other people. Yes, we can say God is love and we need to be always reminded about God's love. And even when we look at Habakkuk, when he was going through this whole thing about a disaster around him, they're going to be invaded. There were no crops. There's no food. He went back and said, praise the Lord anyway. 
Well, he was reaching down much deeper than most of us ever get. And that's where we have to get, and that's where we have to continue to work towards to understand this whole principle about God loving us, even though he's not responding in the way we would like him to respond. We have to understand that that's on us. How God responds to us is how we approach it. Okay, bottom of page three. When God is silent, we can feel he is distant. As a result, we feel lonely. We can feel uh, God is inactive or showing unnecessary restraint that hurts us. Since every feeling is an effect, however, perhaps God's silence could be an act of love. And we discussed that a little bit last week. When God is silent and he's loving us anyway because he's not saying anything, how do we experience that love even though he's not responding? How do we experience God's love even though he's not responding to our prayers? Allows us to breathe. He provides our needs. Has anyone here not being been given God's provision? No. He's still providing for you. He's still caring for you. See, it's about how we approach what this love is. That's what we have to look at here. How are we approaching how he's loving us? Well, God, you just don't care. He's still providing for you. He's showing love in that way. It's about recognizing those things. Sometimes when we go through so much difficulty, so much pain, so much aggravation, we have to strip the bed. What do we do when we we clear the bed? You strip the bed clear. You take off all the bed sheets. You take off everything. You start washing everything. You start all over with the fresh sheets. Sometimes we have to get back to our faith and just strip everything bare and start all over again. And see, how much has God truly blessed you anyway in the midst of his silence? Does that make sense? And usually what it comes down to is when we're going through pain or difficulty, we have to strip everything bare. We have to start from scratch. All the intelligence, all the intellectual intellectual thinking and looking at God's word And looking at being all smart and everything about what God's word says. All of a sudden, something bad happens in your life. Guess what? All that stuff goes out the window. We have to start from scratch. We've got to get back to the basics. Getting back to the basics is recognizing that God has truly blessed you. He has kept you. Even though you don't have anything, you really do truly have everything in Christ. And sometimes we have to see that. Yes. Excellent. That's right. You're still in his hands. Does everybody believe that you're still in God's hands? Even in the midst of his silence when it comes to prayer, you're still in his hands. It's not like you're going out one time coming back in. That's the key here. The key is the moment when we start taking our emotional responses, our human responses, and no longer equating those to how God has a relationship with us through Jesus Christ. 
our human emotions are sometimes our downfall. They really are. They're our downfall. We have... I had a great time yesterday watching college football. There, it was almost wall-to-wall, all these rivalry games that were taking place. And during these rivalry games, you know, you got Virginia and Virginia Tech was earlier in the weekend, and you got um, other teams playing. Arizona and Arizona State was on really late at night last night before I went to bed and didn't see the whole game. But what we have with these rivalry games is what? A lot of emotion. Because there's a lot of build-up to these games when they get there. And there's one game out in Las Vegas... It was a Vegas game that was an upset, and then there was a fight after the game. Where have we heard that before, right? There was a fight after the game because there was celebration in front of the bench of the opposing team that had lost, and people's got their, their emotions got carried away. And so there was fighting. Now, what you have to understand, oh, and yeah, in the Georgia football game, a player got in a fight with a, a defensive back and started fighting like, you know, I don't understand anybody getting in a fight. In a football game, you got all these pe- helmets and pads and stuff like that on. You're trying to punch somebody. Like, what do you think is going to happen with that, right? But the kid, because he got into a fight with him, he got ejected from the game. And there's a rule now that if you don't, if you get ejected from a game, you could miss the first half of the next game. Well, the player on Georgia Tech, there is no more game. But the player on Georgia, there's the SEC championship game next week. So that player is going to miss two quarters of that game. Mandatory. Can't do anything about it. Your emotions have to be put under control. At a certain point, you have to say stop. Because it can be detrimental to your health and well-being, frankly. We have to make sure that our emotions don't get carried away. When we look at God and we look at how he responds to us or doesn't respond to us, we can't, you know, say, oh, things are great. Oh, things are terrible. That has to be under control. You had your hand up. You know the old saying in my neighborhood of don't let your uh, behavior dictate your emotions. Okay. Don't let your behavior dictate your emotions. Okay. Vice versa. Right. That's the same as uh, get mad but don't sin. That's the same. Be angry but sin not. You're absolutely right. That is exactly what it is. Because that means there has to be a certain level of control even though you're angry. Be angry but don't sin. There has to be control. Yeah. Oh, Road rage, yeah. Oh, I've seen it.
That's right. Oh, of course not. Yeah. So what that, that tells you, though, is that we're talking about very real things about how emotions can get the better of you, and it can be tragic. Now, we've seen those are kind of like worldly responses, aren't they? So are we any better than that as believers? No. Why is that? Why do you think? We're still in the flesh. We still have flesh. Flesh is what we have to always fight and overcome when it comes to how we function and survive. Now, we know good common sense, but guess what emotion does to good common sense? Woof! Wipes it right out. I know I shouldn't have done it. I know I shouldn't have ripped that boy's helmet off his head and tried to hit him with it. I know I shouldn't have done it. I know it was the wrong thing to do, but guess what? I sure did it anyway. That's what we have to look at. We must take the human emotional response out of the picture, strip it clean, and go back to God's goodness and God's mercy and God's grace in our lives when he deals with us when he interacts with us, when he gives us comfort. Do you feel God's presence when it comes to comfort when he's around you? Is he not a comforting presence? That's love. That's God's love. He may not say a word. You know, when you're consoling someone who had a death in the family... Sometimes you're showing up and saying nothing and sitting there with that person and not saying a word is a presence of comfort. Words sometimes are overrated. You don't need to say stuff. And sometimes we need to look at even how God interacts with us in prayer. Words are overrated. But if he doesn't say anything, yet you recognize his presence. Think on those things when you don't get a response from God. Think on those things rather than thinking, well, because he ain't saying anything, he, ain't, he doesn't love me. That's a human response. That's a human emotional response that doesn't do you any good. It doesn't change God one bit. But it does affect your relationship with him because you're not responding in such a way that is really helpful for you. You have to train yourself to do this. Because remember, we got just, just got through saying this morning, people do get depressed when stuff happens in their life and they don't understand what's happening and they can't reason with it and they can't grasp it emotionally. People will get depressed. You pray for those people. You pray for God's comfort for those people. That's what we have to always come back to. And all of us have been through stuff. So we kind of have, we have, it's not like we don't understand that. 
All of us have been through stuff. Some of us are more vocal about it than others. Some people keep it to themselves, but they've still been through stuff. They're just not sharing it. They keep it to themselves because that's their personality. But that's okay. But we recognize when we've had our bad moments, think about how other people go through bad moments too. And when they're going through a bad moment, be sensitive to them because you went through a bad moment too. God is good. His silence reflects his good purposes. His silence stems from him being good and seeking to accomplish good in and for you. Go to Romans 8.28. Now this verse, we're, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's important for us to always look at verses contextually. Contextually. A lot of times we equate the word good with being something happy and jovial and I'm having a good time and all that. Sometimes good is not that at all. It doesn't mean it's terrible. It's not the opposite of good, as in bad. But it, good has to have a meaning where it's, is, it is well with my soul type of meaning. It is well with my soul. Now, that good can be someone in their last days suffering from cancer. And yet it is well with my soul because Jesus Christ has me for all eternity. Even though you're going through pain and suffering. Alex Trebek, now, he doesn't know the Lord, to my knowledge. I don't think he does. But he has supposedly said, it doesn't matter if I live. I've lived a good long life, he said. That's fine. But a lot of you don't know, Alex Trebek, in the midst of his taping of Jeopardy, was going through excruciating pain. Even in the midst of taking breaks while he was in between different takes, he was going through excruciating pain because of the therapy that he was on, and sometimes the pain would double him over. Of course, you would never see that on camera. But that's what he shared in one of his interviews. He's going through excruciating... He has stage four pancreatic cancer. He's not going to live much longer. There's no cure of pancreatic cancer that is known of... The survival rate, he said, I think, for what he has is like 5%. Probably less than that now. But he's going through excruciating pain. But it comes down to understanding that he's lived a good long life. He's saying that he, you know, he was blessed beyond measure. He was able to do what he was able to do for a long time. You would hope that Jesus would be in there somewhere. Well, that's where we have an advantage. We know who Jesus is. And this good that we're speaking of here in Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Good may be peace, rest, comfort, and ultimately it's going to be God's presence that gives that, even if you're suffering, even if you're struggling even if you're depressed, still comes down to God's presence. God is going to work through his purpose for your life. Now, some of us don't want to hear the fact that sometimes your purpose for your life is struggle or suffering. 
Nobody wants to suffer. Nobody wants to struggle. Nobody wants to scuffle. But sometimes we have to come back to that. And that's where your sensitivity to those situations, as you come across them in your timeline of your life, your sensitivity in dealing with other people is going to be very important. Because somebody may actually tell you, I don't, God hasn't been saying anything to me. Well, don't get clever and start popping off Bible verses. Just sit there and say, you know what? I understand that because I've been through that. Because everybody here has been through the fact when God has not answered your prayer. So you certainly understand and know what that is. But that doesn't mean, as we're being taught now through the word, that God still doesn't love you. So you come back to that God loves you anyway. God still loves you anyway. Now you had your hand up, and I... Oh, I was going to say in uh, Matthew 8, uh, 5 through 10, Yes. Yeah, no, that's a good passage. It comes down to having faith. Matthew 8, verses 5 through 11. Yeah, well, you just go to the end. <laughs> I'll read it. Matthew 8, 5. Let's go to that. It's good. Because we need to understand, first of all, that what gets us through all of this stuff here is faith. Amen? Faith. Your level of faith. This is why it's a challenge for new believers, this issue called faith. New believers absolutely need to come aside beside other people who are experienced with life. We met a young couple yesterday. Yesterday? Day before. Friday. Met a young couple who just got married, what, three months ago? Three months ago. So they're ready and they're all into, well, we went through counseling and uh, we had the marital premarital counseling ahead of time and we... We've read all these self-help books, these counseling books on how to have a good marriage. And they were Christian authors. One of them was Gary Smalley. And, you know, the, we, we, we did the, the five love languages, that, the study that we even did here a long time ago. That's all good stuff. But we also have to keep in mind, too, that they're three months into a marriage. They're just getting started. And sometimes life experience is going to teach you stuff that those manuals or those, other, <laughs> those books that you read are not going to necessarily be helpful for. You have to just go through life. But you have to, to their credit, they're surrounding themselves with other people who are more experienced with life, who have been married and who are married and who understand what it is to be married. And, you know, my advice to them was that, you know, those books are all great, but you need to get in the Word. Which they, I think, shared, they are still working on a routine for that, a daily routine. Yeah, they're studying, but not together and, and all that stuff, too. So they'll work that out, but that's where, that's where they need to be, is in the Word. And that creates an environment. It tills the soil for you to develop your faith. Because faith is what gets you through a lot of garbage. Amen? Faith is what gets you through a lot of garbage. Ultimately. Verse 5 in Matthew 8. When he had entered Capernaum... 
A centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Now, that by itself says a whole lot. Because he's talking to a centurion from Capernaum, who is exhibiting faith. Remember, Jesus knows the heart of every individual that he talks to. So he knows exactly what he's saying here about the level of faith that this centurion exceeding those people he's been around all this time. Verse 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness in that place where there will be Weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, the centurion told Jesus, and to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. As you have believed. Faith. And the, and the servant was healed at that very moment. Because Jesus doesn't have to be present to heal someone. Amen? But it comes down to faith and it comes down to understanding that God, Jesus is Lord and he can do whatever it is that needs to be done to demonstrate your faith and respond. So we know that he's good. We know that he seeks to accomplish what is good in you and for you. And that good can be a pleasant experience, but that good can also be peace, rest and comfort if you're dying of cancer. It's all relative. So my friend, relax in his silence. Don't try to fill it with lesser voices or useless noise. That's a really profound statement. Lesser voices or useless noise. Those lesser voices and useless noise can be all the advice in the world. Go over here. Go find this. Go do that. Well, God, because you didn't answer me, I got to go over here somewhere. I got to go hear what so-and-so has to say. Those are lesser voices and useless noise. Folks will say stuff to you that have no clue what they're talking about. And I ain't lying to you. They will say stuff to you that has no application whatsoever for you. None. So don't go looking for it. Stay with what you are familiar with. Jesus Christ. You have a relationship with him. Live like you do. You shouldn't have to go run into somebody else for some advice. There are folks out there that will go ask a question, not get the answer they want. Go somewhere else, ask the question, not get the answer that they want. Go somewhere else, ask the question. Well, it might match up now closer to where they're thinking. Well, that's not getting advice. That's just getting confirmation. Useless noise. Useless noise is anything that's going to keep you from being true and faithful to Jesus Christ. 
Trust that he is offering you silent support. Silent support. Even in his silence, he still supports you. One of the most important things that a husband and wife should still be is friends. Friends. A husband and wife should be best friends. Best friends. You see where I'm getting with this? In silent support of the other person. Even when one spouse is having a hard time, that best friend is there to help whenever you need it. Whether you ask for it or not, they're still there. Best friends. Jesus calls us his friends. Jesus refers to us as his friends. He has called us his friends. Friends have a special relationship. Friends just ain't anybody. Friends are friends. We may have our own classification of who we call friends. We have very good friends. We have friends. We have acquaintances. We have people we bump into every now and then. Well, Jesus calls us friends because we have a relationship with him. And that relationship sometimes will include moments of silence. Which is okay. I hope if you don't get anything else out of this study, understand that just because God is silent when it comes to prayer matters does not mean your relationship has changed. It's still the same relationship. But sometimes that silence is good for you. Sometimes it's good for you. Okay, now we're over in page four. Here we go. This is uh, the top of page four. One Friday, now this is, this is um, Jennifer Rothschild's little boy. Connor came home from a second grade and instructed, Mom, get out your laptop so I can work on Microsoft Word. <laughs> I complied with the seven-year-old Bill Gates and started up Baby Dell. I should tell you I named my laptop. Ask anyone in an airport with me. I always take Baby Dell out of his bag. As I go through security and introduce him to the TSA agents who handle him with care. I'm sure they think I'm a little loony, but no one messes with my computer. Um, I hope she's had good experiences with TSA because we've, we haven't had the best experiences with TSA. So, but we'll leave that for another episode. Let's move on. I placed baby Dell on Connor's lap and heard Connor pecking at the keys. Mom, don't listen, he asserted. I am writing you a letter. I told him I wasn't, but it's really hard for a mother to ignore her child and a blind woman not to hear, especially when baby Dell talks. When baby Dell talks, Mama Jen listens. I heard Connor spelling, Dear Mom, I love... He was trying to type love, but when he couldn't find the V, he paused and grunted. I silently cheered him on. Come on, Connor. It's right by the sea. Because I knew for Connor, he needed to find the V by himself. After a minute, I heard it, V, followed by E, and soon the document was complete. He proudly read it to me, and I cheered aloud. I could have easily typed the V for him, but I remained silent. 
Why do you think I did that? For his growth. It's a teachable moment. What were we teaching him? Teaching him how to fend for himself, find something on his own, learn something through the experience, right? Pardon me? To keep after it. Just keep looking and trying. When I first looked at a keyboard, when I was much, much younger, I can barely remember this time in my life, and you started learning, you know, you, you take, remember the old days, some of us, when we had to take typing in class? Oh, goodness. It was horrible. Horrible experience. But you had to learn where all the keys were. And you found out after time that all the keyboards actually had the same configuration. With the Q up on the left, a QWERTY, whatever it is, all the, all the different keys where they are. And when you learn that so that you can actually start typing now without having to look down at your fingers. Rather than being the one-finger typist, you graduated from the one-finger typist to the typist where you can actually type with both hands and look at the screen in front of you and it actually looks like words because you know where the keys are. Okay. Connor had to learn this on his own. He had to figure it out for himself. Now, he wasn't typing like this. He was typing probably like this. But he's seven years old. But it's still an experience where you have to learn where the keys are. When do, you, when do you think silence is a loving response to another's frustration? See the sentence in bold? When do you think silence is a loving response to another's frustration? Can you answer that question? Take a shot at it. When you need it. When it's needed. Now, what did we just get through saying? Connor had to learn because it was what a teachable moment. It was a teaching experience. Did you? Enabler. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Enabling. That's a great. Those of you who know enablers, you know exactly where this is going. Do you really teach anybody anything if you are an enabler? No. You're just helping them through it. That's where you're not learning anything. That's where you become, if anything, dependent on someone else through those emotional experiences. So the silence is a loving response because it's teaching you something. There's something to be learned in that moment of silence. It makes you think. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's right. It makes you think through the whole process. Not even just in the moment, but it makes you think through... What if it's prolonged silence? Now, if it's prolonged silence, guess what you need to be doing? What should you be? Well, you tell me. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to enable you with that answer. You tell me when there's prolonged silence from God, what should you be doing? Praying. Thank you. Praying. 
which is something that you know how to do and you're learning to do more and more. What did I say? More and more? Remember, the world, somebody in the world always comes up to you, can you pray for me because something's happening in my life and I need help? That means they don't know how to pray. Or they don't know what they're praying for, but they think you do, so because you're the prayer expert, you're to pray for them. Well, guess what? You had to learn how to pray just like everybody else. And now, in his silence, you are now learning how to pray with more depth, with more breadth, with more energy, with more emotion wrapped into the prayer. Whereas maybe in the past you were praying and it was rather superficial. And now we're developing our prayer life. Guess what? You're learning something in this relationship now because you're praying more and more with greater depth, with greater understanding because the Spirit is still present and is still teaching you. I know that's the second bell. It is most kind for a parent to give her child a chance to try, even if they fail, and afford opportunity for growth and success. I may have been silent, but I was totally supportive. So we'll stop there, and we'll pick up and finish next week for sure. But I want you to understand that his silence is giving you a chance to learn, frankly, more about him in his relationship with you in prayer, maybe in fasting, maybe in just greater study. Maybe at that point, you weren't studying as much as you should have been, but now you really are, and you're giving it all you got. Daily study. You just progressed in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, even in the midst of his silence. Because it's for your benefit. It's for your good. Makes you think. Gets you deeper into what's going on in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Because as you know, we have a lot more to learn. Amen? We still have a lot more to learn. There's a lot of stuff that we see that we don't understand. But yet there he is. He's still there with us. He's still there to encourage us. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us. Thank you for the reminder of how you teach us in the midst of our silence. You still are present in our lives. You haven't abandoned us. You certainly haven't left us. You're not letting us and leaving us and hanging us out to dry. Lord, help us to remember these things and these lessons that you teach us. And in the midst of interacting with other people and praying for others who are struggling right now, Lord, we pray for your sensitivity. We pray that your compassion for us can be related to those individuals as well. Help us through those moments. Help us through those situations. Help us with giving words of kindness. Help us to reflect others upon others, your grace and mercy in our lives. Thank you for teaching us even when words are not spoken when words are not understood. We just thank you for all those things.
Bless us, Lord, and keep us. We pray now for the upcoming message and the speaker, and we give you praise. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you. We'll see you next time.